All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I'd like to remind you, each and every week, I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, you have a couple of days yet to sign up uh, for that letter. Uh, through the 15th of this month, Chen will be, um, will be accepting new subscribers. If you are currently a subscriber, uh, you can renew your subscription at uh, the time it, uh, it expires. But for new people to join up for Chen, you do need to put your name on the waiting list at miningstocks.com. Go to miningstocks.com, put your name on the waiting list, and you will receive... Uh, shortly thereafter, an email, uh, and you will be able to sign up uh, and uh, become a subscriber to Chen's letter. Chen has had a, a very successful track record uh, over the past and uh, continues to come up with novel ideas, some very great ideas uh, for making money in almost any kind of a market. So uh, you might want to consider Chen's letter. You can also subscribe to my letter, uh, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, anytime at miningstocks.com miningstocks.com or go to uh, you can call our number here in New York through the normal work hours 718-457-1426 718-457-1426 I want to thank each of you for listening to this show making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel also want to encourage you to, con- to continue sending along your questions, comments, criticisms praises, what have you to questions for taylor at gmail.com questions the number four taylor at gmail.com and you can follow me on Twitter at jtaylormedia.com. Do you want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable? Our sponsors for today's show, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, and we'll be talking to the CEO of that company in just a couple of minutes. RN Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, and Calinex Resources. Those are our sponsors that make this show uh, possible. Well, last week my guest was Kevin Duffy. Uh, we do not have enough time to allow him to explain in detail uh, how the Bearings Fund is and has adjusted to the world uh, that we live in now. Certainly, uh, the Bearings Fund has prided itself as a, a practitioner of Austrian economics, and it served them extremely well through 2008, 2009, as you can imagine. Uh, not so well, though, since then, not nearly as well. So Kevin has made some adjustments, Kevin and his, and his co-partner there, uh, have made some adjustments, and uh, that's what we talked to him about. Well, really, last week we talked to him more about what went wrong. Why did Austrian economics not serve the Bering Fund and other practitioners of Austrian economics particularly well since the uh, since the 2008-2009 credit crisis? Uh, 
and then the question more importantly is, well, if it didn't do well, what can be done now? What adjustments can be made uh, really uh, off the basis of uh, Austrian economics? Because certainly uh, Kevin Duffy and his partner Bill Lagner are not throwing Austrian economics out the door by any means, uh, but in fact uh, realizing that uh, the government and the uh, policymakers do not allow free market economics to exist, uh, there will be a major decline that results from their um, from not allowing markets to operate as they should. But until that day arrives, how do we survive? How do we profit from it? And that's the uh, the uh, basically the subject that Kevin and I talked about in length. And there is a second and third segment with Kevin Duffy that you can listen to at jtaylormedia, jtaylormedia.com. Go there, click on the podcast button, and you will go to uh, and you will see uh, three separate um segments that I did with Kevin Duffy. The one was on Voice America last week. And then segment two, Kevin explains uh, six considerations that the Bearings Fund is making now when they seek uh, seek to uh, to make an investment. You know, what are the six considerations they look at? And then finally, uh, Kevin discussed uh, in the concept of robust versus fragile business companies. Indeed, that whole notion of survivability of businesses is one of the key and and Kevin says now probably the most important of the six measures they look at so we spent a fair amount of time Kevin and I uh, discussing this concept of robust versus fragile businesses uh, and anti-fragile businesses interestingly enough too a very interesting concept but Kevin uh, provides some very concrete examples of uh, of what the bearing fund has looked at and what they're what they like right now given those additional uh, five on top of the Austrian school economics uh, considerations that they look at. And again, that whole notion of what is a robust business, uh, overpriced, uh, properly priced, undervalued, robust business, uh, fragile businesses, how can you profit from fragile businesses realizing uh, that their lives, uh, their futures are not very bright and how they're likely to disappear from the scene? How can you make money recognizing those in advance? Uh, and uh, and and Kevin had some very interesting things. One of the one of the ideas that stands out most in my mind, uh, for obvious reasons, because I'm a gold bug and I uh, invest in gold mining companies, was his comments that he made concerning Newmont. Very fascinating comments. Newmont has really turned things around. Maybe the stock price doesn't reflect it too much yet, uh, but it's gotten rid of huge amounts of debt, and as Kevin notes, it's throwing off tremendous amounts of cash flow right now. Uh, almost better than anything else you can uh, you can buy these days, at, at least in terms of uh, bonds and so forth. So uh, anyway, well, I hope that you'll go to J. Taylor Media and listen to the second and third segments with Kevin Duffy uh, that were recorded this past weekend. Also, I uh, would like to just comment a little bit on a couple of my favorite technical analysts before we go to our first guest, uh, Dr. Robert McHugh, who I read almost every day. Uh, he is suggesting that we should be seeing the last of this current bear market rally in stocks, and it should should happen today uh, or around about this time, but most likely today, he believes. Uh, however, he thinks that we should start to see uh, not an immediate crash by any means. Uh, he thinks uh, for a while we're likely to see a stair-step, sort of an orderly decline, uh, you know, go down and bounce back a bit, go down a little further, bounce back a little bit. But then he believes also, long before the end of this year is over, we're likely to see a very major decline, a crash, if you will. However, Dr. McHugh cautions, he says, and I quote, 
Crashes are rare, and maybe the pattern will morph into something we presently do not see that is less ominous. Risk must be managed. Maybe the Fed buys the entire stock market. Who knows, given their track record? Maybe a black swan event, which may be necessary for the third step down to have a crash inside of it. Uh, It could be postponed for several months. So in other words, uh, what Dr. McHugh provides is his best estimate of what's going on. Nobody has a crystal ball completely, but he, his track record has been very, very good. I read him every day very faithfully. Also, likewise, whenever Michael Oliver puts something out, and unfortunately we didn't have time for Michael today, but he, uh, he, he takes a similar view of the direction of the market, though perhaps not nearly as catastrophic as Dr. McHugh. Michael put out a piece uh, yesterday titled, Prepare to be bored to death, then downside again, then question mark. Well, clearly... Michael is taking a very bearish view of the equities market at this time. And like Dr. McHugh, he has turned quite bullish on the precious metals markets. Michael also is turning constructive on the commodities market in general, which I'm not sure Dr. McHugh necessarily uh, shares that view. He hasn't really talked too much about commodities in general. But both are very bullish on uh, both are very bullish on the precious metals, very bearish on the equities markets. Well, today, I've titled my show, Are We Facing an Impending Liquidity Crisis Again in the Banking System? Dave Kranzler and David Wolfen will return to the show today. The eagle-eyed former banker trust junk bond trader David Kranzler uh, noticed that the largest ever treasury collateral injection into the repo market in September took place. There have been similar market manipulations by the Fed uh, that have tended to correspond to crises, the most notable uh, was that in 2008. But this one is far, far larger than anything. Not only is this one larger, the larger, the one that took place just a couple of days ago, but we've had a building of this intervention in the markets through 2014 and, and this year by the Fed. It's incredible. Uh, so this is very, very important. I think uh, we're going to want to hear what David, uh, Dave Kranzler has to say about, about this uh, apparent massive intervention in the equity market. Has QE4 actually started? Some people think so, uh, and, uh, but the Fed just isn't talking about it. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll have lots to talk to David about. And then David Wolfen, he's the president, of Vino, uh, president and CEO of Vino Silver and Gold Mines. It's a company I've been following for many, many years. Well, he'll join us to talk about that company's latest earnings report. Well, actually, it's, uh, I don't think it's, it's nine, uh, three-quarter three earnings reports are out yet. Six-month earnings reports are out. But he'll be here to talk about the latest production statistics through the third quarter, very substantially higher than they were. Uh, and uh, if Michael Oliver is right, uh, David um, and um, uh, Michael Oliver and Dr. McHugh are right about the direction of the uh, precious metals, and certainly Aveno Silver and Gold should be on your radar screen because not only will they benefit from higher prices, but they are on a, a substantial growth uh, trajectory in terms of their production. So, well, we do have to go to a break now, but when we come back, David Wolfen will be with me uh, to talk about Aveno Silver and Gold, and then I'm going to have. Uh, Dave Kranzler with me at about half past the hour to talk about some of those macroeconomic subjects. So don't go away. We'll be right back with David Wolfen. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation and is on pace to double output in 2015. Avino recently partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE market and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think of Eno. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again David Wolf, and he's the president and CEO of Avino Silver and Gold Mines. And uh, I've known David, I've known his father much longer, because I'm more his father's age than I'm David's age, I, I must, must confess. Uh, but uh, Avino Silver and Gold is a name that goes back, oh, probably almost a couple of decades in my newsletter. And, um, and I'm just really delighted to, to see... David pulled things together here after his father, uh, you know, growing older, was not able to continue on. But um, David has had, thanks to his father, who really trained him and had him brought up in the mining industry, David has had uh, experience in all aspects of mining and fundraising and the equity side of the business. So he is uh, very well-rounded to assume the role of president and CEO. And from all I can see, is doing a remarkable job. Uh, for the company. So welcome, David. I'm really glad to have you join me again today. Thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. Always always good to talk to you. Always good to get caught up on what Avino is doing. Uh, I should mention to our listeners, there's only 36.3 million shares outstanding. Uh, trading earlier today, I noticed uh, here in New York at $1.14, gives it a, a minuscule market cap, really, for a company that's producing profitably uh, of $42 million. And, and I think has potential to, um, to really reward shareholders very well 
for two reasons. First of all, I'm bullish on silver. Secondly, uh, David Wolfen's team is starting to produce uh, increasing amounts of silver uh, and uh, and some more gold too, probably in the future. We want to get to that and ask David how he's managing. Which really, David brings me to my first question. You've done very well. Um, you just put out a press release earlier today talking about a 148 percent increase uh, in the silver equivalent production. Silver, 140 uh, percent, 148 percent increase in the uh, silver equivalent ounces that you produced uh, in the third quarter of this year over the like period of last year. Uh, can you count, comment a little bit on how you've managed to boost that production so significantly? Well, we completed two major expansions last year in the mill. So we went from uh, 250 tons per day um, in the beginning of the year and ended the year at 1,500 tons per day. Wow. And alongside this, we uh, reopened the Avino mine. And so we've got two mines in Mexico on the same property. It's the San Gonzalo mine and the Avino mine, and it's all being processed through the same mill. There's uh, three independent circuits in the mill so we can handle different types of um, minerals and and keep them separate. And so uh, um, we're very excited about... uh, the project and and the future. There's a lot of potential still there. So the Avino mine is where you've been producing from for some time. Uh, that's I see you you talk about circuit number three that you just started producing from underground at the Avino mine, and that's being processed through circuit number three. Is that a, a sulfide mineralization, David? That requires you to go through that circuit or what? Uh, yeah. I mean, this is. Um, uh, material that comes directly from the Vienna mine, which has copper in it, so we oh, okay. keep it separate from from San Gonzalo. San Gonzalo doesn't have any payable copper in it, so uh, mm-hmm. uh, we keep the product separate, and uh, and then uh, the the buyers of the product uh, um, get what they want. So. Yeah, you're selling a, a concentrate, I guess, from that mine, aren't you? Correct. Yeah. Now, do you get some gold out of that too, David? Or is it? And, yeah. and how meaningful is the copper as a byproduct? Well, for the, for nine months, um, we produced about 1.2 million ounces of silver, 5,300 ounces of gold, and three and a half million pounds of copper. Oh. Okay. So when you talk about your cost for production, are you reducing, are you offsetting that cost with those, with those credits, copper and gold credits? Yes. Okay. All right. And then the San Gonzalo mine, uh, it looks like some good news coming out of that as well. I noticed recently uh, you talked about, um, you, you talked about uh, you know, I, guess, I guess some assays that you pulled that reveal and uh, mineralization was confirmed on, on lower lower levels, three to seven, right? Yeah, uh, well, these are levels actually that are projected to the east and to the mm-hmm. west uh-huh. of, uh, uh-huh. of uh, what we So same level, but just in years. both directions. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah so, uh, um, so it's good. It's cheaper form of mining than going deeper. So we're, sure. we're going on strike in both directions. And, and uh, also we started uh, drilling to the east on San Gonzalo towards uh, an area called Cerro San Jose, and we think that that could be the epicenter of, of all the mineral activity dating back millions of years. 
because if you look at the overhead uh, shot of Avino, you see all the veins trend towards that one area. So we're really excited about what the potential uh, is in that area. So that could be like a feeder zone, I guess, to these other areas. Uh, how, how soon might you tap into that to get some sense of what's there? Well, we started drilling um, about a week ago, so uh, oh. um, we'll be drilling probably right up to the end of the year, and um, so results will start trickling out in the next few weeks, and uh, wow. and okay. we'll get an idea. So, well, that's uh, and that's our been... our guys, we've got a a team of geologists down there that that have a really good handle on the uh, deposit and the and the, the mineralogy now uh, being in production for a couple of years. It's a lot different from when we first started mining on San Gonzalo. We, we were unsure. I mean, we were just going by drill results. Now we've got several years under our belt. Can you uh, tell our listeners how, how much um, silver, well, how much silver equivalent, how many silver equivalent ounces have you produced so far this year? We've done about uh, 2.2 million ounces. Then okay. Last year, for the entire year, we did 1.4 million. So we've already surpassed all of last year. And so might we look we're for... We're on pace to do about 3 million. 3 million this year. Okay. And yeah. are you providing any guidance going forward uh, into 2016? No, we can't do that because... Uh, uh, we're not operating under a feasibility study with proven reserves and forecasts. We reopened the mine that we've owned for over 40 years. So um, <laughs> that's the one downfall of not having a feasibility study. Uh, when we reopened uh, San Gonzalo, we ran what they call a bulk sample test. And uh, rather than doing a feasibility study, uh, we already had the results and there were there, um actual results, not theoretical, and, yes. uh, and uh, we were producing silver for under uh, $8 an ounce when we started, and, uh, and Tetra Tech verified those results and gave us the green light to go to commercial production, which we declared in the fourth quarter of 2012. Mm-hmm. So we've got That's about a- three years of commercial production under our belt at San Gonzalo, and during mm-hmm. that time, we used the cash flow to dewater Avino, because Avino... Uh, was flooded, and it sat idle since 2001, and um, we had to pump out a million cubic meters of acidic water, and we had to treat the water, and and that was completed in the second half of last year, and then we brought in a brand new mining fleet and um, started mining in Q4, and then uh, we commissioned Circuit 3 in Q4, so, um, and and, um, just, so we'd have a complete year of production this year we started processing fresh ore january 1st of this year through circuit three so, so you're able so to, then you to could do... compare to the past yeah in the past from um from 1974 to 2001 the last decade of, of production was running at around a thousand tons per day that was circuit three so so you have comparable information to look at in the past right you're just not allowed to talk about it. In other words, if people want to, they can go in and study and connect. You know, take the data well, that's you available can look, from the past. Okay, you look at our uh, resource estimate. Uh, the measured and indicated on Avino alone is uh, over four million tons. Mm-hmm. And so, if you do the math on a circuit three, a thousand tons per day is three hundred sixty thousand tons a year. You're mm-hmm. looking at over a decade of uh, mine life from Avino alone. And in the inferred category, there's another three million tons. So. Obviously, uh, you're looking at longer mine life, and that's just Avino. That's not including San Gonzalo. 
and the dozens of other veins that exist on the property. Uh, an exciting thing that we're doing right now is compiling all the raw data. We we have old, uh, um, well, it's not that, it, it's been unused, but uh, we have uh, 80 kilometers of IP geophysics we conducted on the property, and we never did anything with it um, because we were so busy on getting cash flow. Sure. Now we're going back and compiling that data. We've got AeroMag survey, satellite imagery. All of that is being put into a 3D model, and uh, and then we're going to uh, plan for next year to go around and start drilling some of these areas. We own wow, our that's own a, drill. We own yeah. our own drill, so we we can drill low cost seventy percent of what contractors charge. Wow, that's a, that's a really exciting, yeah. It's, and and the fact that you've been able to do this with internal cash flow from a production from Gonzalo, I think you said that you use them to do water the Avino mine and go underground there. So uh, well, it's kind of like a family-run business. You can't spend <laughs> what you don't have, right? So yeah, well, you shouldn't spend. That's how I was trained. So we've yeah. been patient, and yeah. we would reward the the guys at the mine with new equipment if we could afford it. Yes, and you and and you have, and we want to get to that because you you just raised some money uh, with your deal with the uh, with the Japanese concern. But before we get to that, just a comment, if you would please, David, on the cost. You did put out cost figures. Uh, I think all in cash cost figures quite quite good actually. Uh, Eleven seventy two, I think, is what you reported. Was that Canadian. for the last quarter? Canadian, so that's under oh, ten dollars US. Uh huh. Okay, and then of course you're looking at the world in uh, through the eyes of Canadian currencies, which uh, provide a much higher well, silver the price as well. This is uh, uh, we pay in Mexican pesos, we sell it in U.S. dollars, but then we have to report it in Canadian, so it's a little confusing. But it is uh, a, that's yeah. how we have to operate. Okay, well you've been you've managed to bring your cost down. Uh, I don't know if that's a function of maybe the grades or or if you did something else, but uh, the like period of last year was $12.02 per a silver equivalent ounce uh, and to $11.72 uh, the third quarter, uh, I'm sorry, the, I guess the second quarter of this year we're talking about. How did you manage? Is that something we can look well, forward to? More cost reductions? We were improved on uh, recovery rates. Uh, grades were pretty consistent. But basically, we looked at consumables. We looked at the reagents that we use. We looked at the ball mills and energy costs, and we look to um, get better pricing on all that by being in production longer and making longer-term agreements. We could lower the costs, so that's how we were able to get those down. Mm-hmm. All right, I'd like to talk to you, uh, get you to comment perhaps on the, the Samsung transaction that you you raised $10 million, um, and you're selling, in, in return, you're paying that off with uh, by bulk shipments of... Um, sure. Uh, you're, you're sending a, the concentrates, right, that you're getting from the Avino mine. That's so uh, w- what are you doing with the $10 million that you raised? Is that some of the equipment improvements and things you're talking about? Some of that, but basically it's for operating expenses and working capital. And uh, mm-hmm. um, But we have con- we have commenced a drill program on San Gonzalo, and um, there's other things we're looking at is... Um, um, we have a large resource sitting in our tailings uh, pond, and we've done a PEA on there. And because it's an active tailings dam, we can't um, proceed with advancing that project. So um, we've applied for permits to build a new tailings facility on the other side of the property, on the other side of the mine. And um, once we build that out, we can then look to move 
um, the current tailings resource forward, and um, that calls for a um, agglomeration heap leach and marrow crow precipitation uh, mm-hmm. recovery system. Uh, okay. And um, that would add another 1.4 million ounces of silver equivalent to uh, to our production for five years. So uh, wow. we're excited about that project. It's, it's going to be a huge jump in production for us once we can build that out. Wow. I mean, you're looking at, I, I think you told me a few minutes ago, 3 million ounces there more or less this year. So right. that would uh, that would take you up over 4 million ounces, theoretically, at Correct. least, if, if it moves but forward. I can't give you a firm timeline on that mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. haven't built out the, the new tailings facility yet. And, sure. And, and then, but in the PEA, they call for, uh, once it's safe to put a drill rig on top, we can... They want us to do uh, TetraTech uh, recommended 90 sonic holes followed mm-hmm. by metallurgical test work of the upper sulfides because the PEA is only based on the lower sulfides, which are mm-hmm. it's exposed, so we could do all the test work on that. Mm-hmm. So there's 5 million tons in total, so 3 million tons of sulfides would have to be removed to get to the bottom 2 million tons. If those 3 million tons leach, there's still metal in them, too. So that would be a bonus and it would improve the numbers that we've reported. So uh-huh. that test work needs to be done before we can make a construction decision. I see. Very interesting. Well, so that's what you're using part of that $10 million for. Now, in terms of repaying it, uh, how much of the production from Avino is going towards the repayment of that $10 million? We've agreed to give them 100% of the production from Avino. Not, it doesn't include San Gonzalo. But the minimum uh, requirement in the agreement is to deliver 800 tons of concentrate a month, which mm-hmm. we've been exceeding since we started it. Um, there's no, uh, we don't, we have a ho- payment holiday on the principal for nine months, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a 24 month deal. It's a low cost of capital, below five percent. So it's great, a okay, fantastic uh, financing package for us and. We're thrilled to be in partnership with one of the largest companies in the world. Yeah. And to know that our our minerals are going to make it into some of their fantastic electronics. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's very exciting. Well, I have to ask you. We're just about out of time here, David. But I have to ask you about the Braylorn Gold Mine. Sure. You you are producing some gold, of course, now as a byproduct. No, no, just... no. It was it was we amalgamated the companies last year. We immediately closed the mine after the Mount Pauly disaster. We applied for permits to raise the dam. We got it this summer. We just completed raising the dam. We're finalizing uh, our mine plan to reopen it. We're planning to reopen this fall, and um, and we're looking at doing more mechanized-type mining. So we're going to do a test for long-hole mining. We're going to see if we can um, get successful at that because it's a cheaper form of mining than, than uh, labor-intensive uh, stope mining. So... That's our goal for the balance of this year. And, and then um, we've used SNC-Lavalin to help us with the mine plan going forward to expand that operation. All right. I suppose, uh, probably true to form, you're not going to be spending millions of dollars to put forward a, a feasibility study here as well. Might you do a PEA nope, or the something? The infrastructure is in place. So, yeah, uh, right, right. You know, the, the risk <laughs> is minimal. I mean, the risk is, you know, the upfront CapEx cost, which is... Uh, it's a few million dollars. So uh, uh-huh. we have a Caterpillar uh, master finance lease, and with Sandvik, so we're we're bringing in new equipment. We're going to do we're going to roll out the same plan that we did in Mexico: is modernize, update, and then expand. 
So your your treasury is in pretty good shape now, David. You don't have to go out and raise uh, sell a bunch of shares. I hope you don't have to go out and uh, raise a bunch more money now at, for the yeah, for we're fine season. right now. There's no plans. Um, uh-huh. We want to get our uh, market cap up a lot higher before we issue uh, issue any, any shares. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, couldn't agree with you more on that. What just uh, in closing here? What sort of drivers might we be looking forward to? Uh, I mean, you mentioned you got some drill results coming forward from the uh, prospective high grade area uh, at San Gonzalo. Anything? Anything else that people should keep their eyes on? I suppose the Braylorn news and yeah, keep news on that. I mean, the, I mean the leverage to silver is is really good. If you look at when silver goes up, we go up, and you know we position this company to really outperform in a good market. So. We're surviving in a in a bad market, so look out when things turn. We're gonna we're gonna take off. Oh, I, I can't. Uh, I, I certainly agree with you, which is why you're a recommendation in my newsletter. And I would also say that um, you know if you're bullish on silver, and and as Michael Oliver has pointed out on our show frequently, uh, when you get a bull market in the precious metals, on the upside, silver usually outperforms gold. On the downside, gold does better than silver loses less than silver does but so if you think we're ready for a turn uh here's a company avino uh avino silver and gold that is increasing production lots of exciting exploration potential which they didn't tap into because they were busy getting into production getting cash flow which i like david very much because i hate these companies that go out and just uh sort of you know dilute me to oblivion uh, and that's the, right. the way most of these companies go so kudos to you and your father and your team uh, anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye today no just uh, we're, we're available if anyone has any questions please don't hesitate to contact us uh, and we really appreciate being on your show and, and wish everyone happy investing well, happy investing. I think it will be if, if, we're, if I'm right about the turn of the market. So thank you very much, David. Look forward to doing it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. All right. Well, folks, we do have to take a commercial break, but when we come back, Dave Kranzler will be with us to talk about the question of uh, whether or not we might be facing an impending liquidity crisis again. David has some very interesting insights, I think, uh, to share with us. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dave Kranzler. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Calinex is a junior with major near-term catalysts. This tightly held company is advancing its projects containing copper, zinc, gold, and silver in Manitoba, Canada. Calinex's projects are within 10 miles to Hud Bay's mine that has less than five years of ore. Kalinex has high-grade deposits and new targets with exciting discovery potential, with drill results anticipated shortly. Now is the time to learn more about Kalinex by visiting kalinex.ca. That's C-A-L-L-I-N-E-X dot C-A. Kalinex is publicly traded under the symbol CNX in Canada and CLLXF in the U.S. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your, uh, your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, once again Dave Kranzler. And Dave, uh, for those that you, those of you who may not have heard of him in the past, um, he, uh, he spent a bunch of years on Wall Street. He worked uh, as a, a junk bond trader at Bankers Trust and uh, has, a, has a degree, a business degree, uh, an MBA, I suppose it is, from the University of Chicago and concentrated in accounting and finance and um, so he currently manages Golden Returns Capital. It's a precious metals and mining stock investment fund based in Denver. So uh, clearly Dave and I have a lot in common in terms of our investing interests. Uh, and he writes a very, very good blog, a very interesting blog that really keeps you up to date with some of the things that are going on, not necessarily the things you're going to hear about or at least the perspective that you're going to get from the mainstream media, but one that I think is refreshingly honest and one that um, would really be worth your while checking out. And you can do that by going to investmentresearchdynamics.com, investmentresearchdynamics.com. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for joining me again. Hey, thanks for having me, Jay. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Always a pleasure uh, to talk to you. Um, You were in that mile-high city of Denver. now, on October 6th, I, what I really want to do is I'll ask you about a few of the things on your blog, and maybe this will give our listeners a sense of why they should go there. But um, you wrote on October 6th an article titled, A Liquidity Crisis Hit the Banking System in September. Uh, and you showed a, a chart there, I think it was from Federal Reserve data, uh, that showed an alarming amount of Treasury reverse repurchase activity by the Fed that uh, has been massively larger. I mean, it's been taking place in 2014, 2015, but really skyrocketed recently in 2015. But all of this activity is substantially greater than uh, what looks like a mohill by comparison in 2008 when the Fed stepped in to try to, to, try to soothe the markets when, it, when they were going to hell. Uh, for the sake of our listeners, first of all, can you explain the reverse repo market? Um, just explain what it is and you know what, what is the nature of the transaction? Sure. Um, just real quickly here, it's, it's, it's actually just the opposite of a repo market transaction. It's, it's open market operations conducted by the Fed, and the primary objective is just to sort of manage the federal funds rate. So if they think that there needs to be more liquidity in the system on a short-term basis in order to um, keep the Fed funds rate down or in its, its target range is zero to a quarter percent, then what they do is they go and they, they solicit repo transactions whereby they lend cash to the banks and the banks collateralize those cash loans with treasuries. Then the reverse 
repo. Just to point out, um, it was actually called that's a that's a temporary um, repurchase agreement. The 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 permanent mar, mar, open market operations are what they used to um, implement their QE, where they go in and they print money. Mm-hmm. They they. They, and then they use that money to buy treasuries from the banks, which have bought treasuries from the government as the government issues them. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's primarily used for short-term interest rate management, but it, it can also be used to inject permanent liquidity into the system. And the reverse repo technically is just the opposite of that. Um, Fed funds rate is in danger of slipping below zero. So what they do is they is they go and they take cash from the banks and give the banks treasury as collateral in exchange. So now, and, and it's, it often happens at the end of the quarter. And a lot of people have kind of pointed this out about my analysis and, and there is some degree of validity to it, but not in the context of the spikes that you see on that graph. And that mm-hmm. is at the end of the quarter, Banks don't want to show a lot of uninvested cash on their balance sheet. So if they have a lot of cash, what they'll what they'll do is the Fed'll reverse reap do a reverse repo with them where the Fed sticks treasuries on their balance sheet and the banks collateralize those treasuries with the cash that they have. Uh-huh. And then after the quarter's over, they'll unwind it. But that way on say October thirty or September thirtieth when the banks do their have their quarterly audit done, they can show a lot of treasuries earning a little bit of interest on their balance sheet rather than cash, which is earning basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing of it is, is as you pointed out, I mean, since 2014, since the beginning of 2014, I mean, that reverse repo graph looks like, you know, the heart monitor of someone on meth. Yep. Yeah. And the spikes keep getting larger. And so what I would suggest, and I, I can't take credit for, finding this. A, a good friend and colleague of mine had pointed this out to me at the beginning of the year when he was bored at work and just started thumbing through Fed graphs and he found this reverse repo that shows the big spike up right before the beginning of 2015. And it happened to coincide with a period of time when when several of us, um, I think we probably have talked about this in the past in emails, Jay, um, and I know John Embry sort of independently noticed the same thing. It was right around the middle of December. It, it felt like gold, precious metals were behaving a little bit differently. And it also felt like, you know, that something had something had happened, like some sort of derivatives accident had happened behind the scenes that was being monetized. Because the stock market also got a little more volatile. And it, it just sort of felt, it felt like something was wrong out there. And it also felt like the economy really slowed down. And it just so happened... Yeah, there was a, a, a reverse big re- reverse repo that occurred at quarter end, but it actually started in the middle of December, the process, the reverse repo process. And if you look, I mean, it's the second biggest highest spike on that graph. And uh-huh. these, these spikes are so beyond what the average little bump up might be for quarter end. I mean, it's even they're even way beyond, what, as you pointed out, what occurred in 2008. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think the quarter end balance bank balance sheet management explains it. I don't even think it explains 10% of that spike, especially considering that each time, at least the two largest ones on there, um, a fairly large percentage of the reverse repos were done with foreign banks. Hmm. 
And so what, what I think may have occurred is the way what happens is, is, is these banks are all have exposure to derivatives. And so if, if you're on the wrong side of a derivative, you either got to close it out or you got to post collateral. And treasuries are what's used for collateral globally in terms of posting uh, collateral against losing derivatives trades. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that necessarily the banks per se are the ones in the losing position, but what the banks can do is they can take that treasury collateral that they get with the Fed, from the Fed, and hypothecate it to hedge funds and other pools of money that may have losing, be in losing derivatives positions in which they need to post collateral. I mean, you can't, you got, if a bank has cash on its balance sheet, it's not going to give it to a hedge fund. Here, go post this as collateral, but you can hypothecate treasuries as collateral. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I think that's what's being done. It just uh -huh. so happens that per, that spike, that the, the big one out there in the yellow circle, yeah, that right. one started on September 16th. Well, that also happened to be right when Glencore stock started blowing uh -huh. up. Uh-huh. And so, to me, you know, could it be coincidental? Sure, anything's possible. But Glencore is is a is a roach motel of of leverage and derivatives issues, and we don't even know the tip of the iceberg there. And there's no telling what's going on. But obviously, they're exposed to all the markets that have gotten hit hard: industrial metals, energy, and precious metals. So to the extent that they've got derivative trades on that expose them to the downside of those markets, I mean, there's no telling, you know, yeah. how far off sides their liquidity situation was right. or is or could be. Right. right. So, the, so the banks could have taken the wrong side of the trade and, and really be in trouble on some of those things. The banks could have taken the wrong side of the trade. It, it could be hedge funds. I mean, it, it could be, to me, it suggests that something occurred that was a more would have been more damaging than you know some, would have might have been something that like occurred in 2008 if they didn't do something to address it right away right, right. so they got out ahead of it to make sure we didn't get another 2008 perhaps they tried yeah, to eventually i think they're not going to be able to do that but yeah i think that's probably what happened i mean and also we know deutsche banks in a very compromised position right now and we don't know we don't even know you know five percent of what's going on there i mean they gave us a they gave us you know a preview of a seven billion dollar quarterly write down that was largely goodwill and and non-essential items i mean what i would really like to see is i'd like to see what their derivatives positions look like and i think yeah. the rest of the world would too yeah well that'd be very frightening potentially so maybe maybe we don't want to see it <laughs> hey, it's Halloween. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, Halloween's approaching. Well, uh, you know, uh, in all seriousness, though, I mean, this this is scary stuff. I mean, I would, uh, so let me just, I want to make sure that I understand this, Dave. What would the Fed be trying to do here then? To lower rates or to or to in, or to, to keep that rate level, that Fed funds rate between zero and a quarter percent? Were is this suggesting that they had to try to pull rates up or push them down? Actually, that's a good question. Let me clarify this. I, if I'm right about this, and I'm not saying that I am, I, again, mm -hmm. it's, we, we can't know what's going on behind the wizard's curtain. Sure. But this, this operation is not about short-term interest rate management. This is an operation that's designed to force collateral into the market that can be used against you know, used as collateral against losing derivatives positions so that those derivatives positions 
don't have to be closed out, and then all I of a sudden see. there's counterparty default risk that triggers. Right. So in other words, I mean, it's it's well known that there's there's a, a a pretty extreme shortage of treasury collateral out in the global marketplace. Yeah. And a big reason for that is, I mean, the Fed the Fed owns in in, in some some maturities the Fed owns half of the treasuries outstanding. I think the ten year they own like half yeah. of them outstanding. Something like yeah. that. Don't don't hold me to those numbers, but it's it's of that scale. Mm-hmm. And and so you have all this treasury collateral sitting on the on the Fed's balance sheet, and so this operation is designed to get that collateral out into the marketplace, so that it can be hypothecated and or rehypothecated. So that people who need treasuries to post as collateral against losing derivatives positions can post that collateral. Yeah, and yeah. guess what? We saw Glencore stock miraculously bounce shortly after it hit. You know, I think it was basically its all-time low. I mean, it was. I have the numbers on one of these articles in my blog, but it was it was down something like fifty percent in a very short period of time recently, and and then all of a sudden it bounced, as did some of the some of the um, industrial commodities markets that it's exposed to and I, I honestly I think that was probably the central banks coordinating a bounce to try and calm those markets down mm-hmm. and, and try and um, address whatever happened behind the scenes that caused that reverse repo spike. Well it would but certainly it was, make sense. I, I mean these guys yeah. have learned a lot from the past and probably are anticipating you know similar problems. I think it was Larry Summers just, just yesterday or the day before was out there talking about how another 2008 could develop, you know. So clearly, clearly the big boys are aware that that we've got some underlying problems, to say the least. And that would all make a lot of sense. I just tell my listeners it's October 6th is the article. Dave, they can still read this article there, I guess. It's still yes, posted absolutely. there, right? Yep. And it stays up there for quite a while, so people can go to uh, investmentresearchdynamics.com investmentresearchdynamics.com uh, to pick up on this. So if it's, if it's the sort of thing you, 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 you care about and you like to understand, try to understand, I think this is really, really important stuff, Dave. I want to thank you for that. Now, we have a few more minutes left yet, but um, uh, there's so many other things to talk about. Would there anything else you'd like to say about that article? No, I mean, I, I, you know, I think I have most of it in the article. I've, I've been meaning to go back and, and add a little bit to it to address the the people who have commented either on my blog or via email that, oh, well, maybe this is just the quarterly balance sheet dressing that yeah, they yeah. do with the banks, uh-huh. and it's not. I mean, yeah. it's, those spikes are way too much of an outlier sure. to, to be sort of the normal quarterly um, balance sheet window dressing that, that they do with the reverse repos. Yeah, yeah, very important, very important stuff. Uh, thank you for that. Um, you, you also had a, an article on the following day. Something blew up in the global financial system. I think you may be talking about Deutsche Bank there um, as well. You just commented on that. So, um, Deutsche Bank's balance sheet is toxic waste. Is an article you put out on the uh, on your blog on the ninth. Uh, can you just talk to us a little bit about Deutsche Bank's balance sheet? What you know about it? <laughs> I mean. I don't think any of us can really know a lot about Deutsche. They don't bank. tell us, do they? It's a well, funny thing. How it, I mean, you look at you look at a bank balance sheet, and if you dig through the footnotes, you can get a little more out of it. But um, if you if you look at their asset base, like when they show their 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 assets, which are primarily loans, 
okay? The areas where they're exposed to industrial commodities, oil, emerging markets, emerging markets and emerging market currencies, Volkswagen, suppliers to Volkswagen. They're, they're a big creditor of, of Glencore. Um, and, and so, and, and in terms of the high yield market, they are a huge lender to the leveraged, the leveraged loan market. So companies oh, right. that are rated as high yield, you know, junk bonds, Deutsche Bank lends to them. That's why they bought Bankers Trust. They wanted that business. <laughs> and, and it just so happens all, all of those asset classes have gotten annihilated in the last three to six months. So for, for Deutsche Bank, if they've got a $1.5 trillion balance sheet, for them to come out and say, oh, well, we're going to take $7 billion in write-downs in, in goodwill, I mean, that's a joke. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and they're by far, they're now the largest derivatives player. They're bigger than J.P. Morgan in derivatives. Wow. wow. And I think it's also very possible that, that um, reverse repo spike could have been related to getting collateral to Deutsche Bank. I don't know. I mean, it's, the banking system is so opaque, we have no way of knowing. Yeah, and the big and it's just a handful of really big ones internationally, isn't it, Dave? I mean, it's like it's not like your little, you know, your your local bank. It's it's the, these big money center banks out of New York and London and uh, you know in Germany and places like that uh, that are really the guys that are playing this, and they uh, they have special uh, they have a special route to the Fed and to the other central banks, don't they? Yes, that's right. They get bailed out. They, they can do out. all kinds of things that that reap huge profits, you know, all kinds of things that are just immoral and illegal and everything else, and make huge profits. And then when the thing goes boom, we all get stuck with the uh, with the losses. And again, just like we did in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But just looking at that chart on that that article that you put out there, it's it's frightening. It really is. And and yes, we don't know what's on these balance sheets, and they don't mark them to market at all. So. So God only knows what's going to hit us next. It's, that's it's, that's it's right, but we do know what Deutsche Bank's primary lines of lending are, <laughs> and it's everything that's gone bad in the last three to six months. Yeah, well. <laughs> and, well. And, and, and that's their on-balance sheet. Their $1.5 trillion is what they've got on-balance sheet. They've got a whole uh, closet full of skeletons called OTC derivatives, and you can't even get much information on those in their footnotes, and that's the yeah, way the law over the counter. Out. They're over the counter. Nothing. Yeah. So look, we only have a couple of minutes left here, but just a couple of more articles I would just mention to my listeners. Um, systemic leverage. BlackRock calls for pulling the plug on stocks to prevent big drops. Maybe uh, take a minute to comment on that on that article. They there was a news release last week where BlackRock came out and was proposing that um, provisions be put in place to let let the people running the, ex- the stock exchanges you know, basically pull the plug in times of quote-unquote high volatility. And by uh-huh. what they mean high volatility, they mean when the market's selling off, you know. When it's, if, it's, if it goes up, that's okay. But if it's going down, uh, we have to just shut the market off. Yeah, we didn't see this proposal over the last five years when the S&P was basically going up, you know, going right. up in parabolic fashion. It's, it's right. now when there's downside risk. And BlackRock is probably, in terms of the United States, they may even be a higher risk entity than J.P. Morgan. Um, you know, real quickly, Jay, I did want to mention the junior mining stocks. I, I don't. I think yeah. we'd be remiss if we didn't. Yeah, chat please about do. Them. Please do. And I wanted to say that um, it, it's been interesting because just in the last four to six weeks, I, I offer junior mining stock reports off my blog, 
And I, li- I have not really been been promoting the sector, and I haven't written any new ones recently. I've got two on there that have, were updated in August. But just in the last four to six weeks, I've had several readers come into me and ask me about my research reports, and, and I've actually sold quite a few over the last four weeks. And, and to right. me, when I people started coming into me, you know, my antenna went up. And yeah. there's definitely a bid the market definitely has a bid right now. In terms All right, of very good. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, Dave, we're out of time, but people can go to, to your website there, investmentresearchdynamics.com, and you, and you sell these piecemeal, don't you? Yes. Okay, very good. Well, people can do that. Uh, you, you don't have to subscribe to David's letter. You can buy them piecemeal, unlike, unlike mine. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to talk to you some more about the mining sector because I think uh, Kevin Duffy uh, made some very good comments. He believes that uh, Newmont, for example, is turning around uh, very constructive on Newmont right now. We, we are basically out of time. I just want to tell there's so many articles, folks. Go to uh, Dave's uh, website to read them. Systematic, uh, systemic leverage. Another one is Japan Inc. pulling out of the COMEX and LBA, LBMA. Here comes pension fund benefit cuts. Uh, bank sovereign deception. Bernanke lied and should go to jail. Uh, John Titus uh, comments, criminals are running the Fed. Uh, the low housing inventory. We may be in for some housing, uh, big housing problems again. Uh, the low housing inventory myth. Uh, anyway, it goes on and on. So much from Dave Kranzler. Dave, I want to thank you very much for being with us again, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future. Thanks so much. Thanks for, for having me, Jake. All right. All the best. Well, folks, don't. Next week, we're going to have Roy Sabag of uh, BitGold, now known as Gold Money. He'll be with us to talk about the latest developments there with that. Uh, the Gold Money MasterCard, which I'm waiting for mine to receive so that I can start using gold as money, actually. Uh, we'll talk to you about that. Roy Sabag will be with us also. I do hope to have Michael Oliver with me again next week. Uh, thanks to my sponsors uh, this week, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, and all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation and is on pace to double output in 2015. Avino recently partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE market and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think of Eno.